what's interesting is the gluten protein and the thyroid tissue, for some reason, looks very similar to our immune system. So basically, what happens is if our body's fighting the gluten, it will also fight our thyroid at the same time. Hey, hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Tan, and I'm so grateful you are with me today. This show is all about human performance. Whether you want to be training at your best so you can achieve your goals or show up as your best self every single day, this show is for you. I chat with experts, athletes, coaches, and authors on all the best tips, tools, and strategies to help you achieve your best. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt, and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind, and discover your extraordinary potential. And today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with naturopath, iridologist, herbalist, and functional medicine practitioner, Lucinda Miller. And today we talk about thyroid health and dive into autoimmune conditions as well. Now, if you've been following me for a while and have listened to my story, you'll know that I have a thyroid challenge. And for me, that's in the form of thyroid nodules. So my journey into thyroid health was because my specialist told me there was nothing that they could do, which may be true in the sense that they couldn't do anything about the nodules as such. But what troubled me the most was that there was no advice or even any direction on how I could manage my health, my stress, my emotions, my nutrition, my gut health to hopefully then prevent more nodules from growing or even stop the ones that I have now from growing even more. Oh, and not to mention the effect that they were having on my thyroid or my mood, my energy and my metabolism. Everything seemed to speed up. I was eating two to three cupcakes a day for a year and not putting on any weight. Now, okay, I know that that was never ideal or even smart to begin with, but they were some really tough and stressful times. So turning to comfort food and it not having an impact on my weight, in my mind at the time, was the only positive thing to come from the situation. I understand now how wrong that was. So currently I'm managing all of this and that's how I came across Lucinda. I heard her being interviewed on another podcast and everything she said in regard to the thyroid and gut health resonated with me and I implemented only a few of the things that she said and within a week I noticed a difference in my energy. It was quite remarkable so I had to get her on the show and share this with you because whilst there is so much information out there, Lucinda has this beautiful way of sharing stories and cutting to the chase of what to do. If you are unsure of what action to take, she gives some really simple and safe ways to look after your thyroid and gut health too. So let's dive straight into this jam-packed episode with Lucinda Miller. Lucinda, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. Jackie, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, It's such a pleasure. We are talking all things thyroid and health. And 
the listeners would know that I've had my own thyroid journey and still on it. And it was one of those things where I was basically told there's nothing you can do until it gets so bad that we surgically remove it, which was completely shocking to me and also heartbreaking because I'm someone who wants to play a real active role in my health and well-being. Um, and so I've been doing that this whole time and, uh, recently came across an interview that you did on another podcast and you are so wonderful at explaining you know what the thyroid is and 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 how you can help it and that specifically has already helped me i've i've implemented a couple of things from that interview and so i'm so excited to have you here and chat with you i know you have your own thyroid story and journey could you start by sharing that with us Yes, absolutely, Jackie. So um, my mum had a hypothyroid, low thyroid function, my aunt the same. So I was kind of expecting it to happen at some point. And my mum also had type 1 diabetes. So we've got a lot of autoimmunity in the family. So again, that was something I was kind of, you know, thinking, well, I'm going to do my absolute best. And I remember whenever I did a blood test, said, you know, you've got perfect bloods. I was like, yes, I'm rocking it. But my hair's falling out. I'm feeling really tired. I've got brain fog. And, but they couldn't, you know, my bloods weren't telling me what was really going on. And um, it was actually by mistake. I was sent a lovely blood test, um, private blood test by a company to do as a freebie. So I thought, right, well, I'd give it a go. And I'd never had my thyroid antibodies checked. I'd only had the baseline TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone, which is the main one that everyone does. Sometimes you get T4 done, but both basically those are always spot on perfect. And anyway, I got the results back a couple of days later, and there were these thyroid antibodies super high. And I thought, oh my goodness, I think this is Hashimoto's. This is something I've always read about. Some of my clients have come with to see me with. Um, but I just hadn't added up myself and I'm a naturopath. I've been doing this for years, but because this TSH, which is that sort of key marker was one and basically the, the pro the sort of reference range for your TSH is 0.35 to five, depending on which country you live in. Sometimes it's four and a half, sometimes it's five and a half, but generally, and so one is steamed as absolutely spot on perfect. And it always was. So that's why I just thought there's no way I could have Hashimoto's and also have perfect TSH. Um, but I learned through myself that it was possible. So immediately I went to see my GP, my doctor. And I said, heck, look at this. Isn't this crazy? And she said, yeah, gosh, I haven't seen that before. And I said, is there anything you can do? And she goes, well, the problem is we treat TSH. We treat that marker. So if it's one, we really can't do anything about it until it goes right up and then you've got low thyroid function. She said, what I can do is to check you in case something else is going on. Um, at the time, I have got a sore throat today. So this is ra random sore throat. But at the time I had a voice like this all the time. It was very gravelly. So she checked me for thyroid nodules and for cancers. Um, it was an ultrasound and it was in our local hospital and it was done about a month later and it was all clear and fine. 
So I knew what I was working with then. And I think once you know exactly what you're working with, then you can then build that confidence and do your research and find out what's right for you. So I thought, okay, so I have got quite probably atypical Hashimoto's in that my TSH is normal, but I've still got significant antibodies. And antibodies are basically a sign that your body is fighting itself. So there was a way, basically my, the tissues, my immune system was basically fighting my thyroid. And it still is to some degree, I'm nearly there, but you know, the antibodies are down quite a bit, but they're still there. And it's very, very hard to shift the body entirely out of autoimmune state. And that can then mimic all the symptoms of low thyroid. Sometimes it can mimic symptoms of high thyroid, and that's where you probably don't sleep very well. You might have a loose bowel, you might get heart palpitations. You might just sort of feel really manic. Um, that is rarer than hypothyroid. And one of the reasons why hypothyroid, which is low thyroid sign, so it's cold, constipated, tired, brain fog. Basically, there is a thyroid receptor in every single cell in our body. There are only two main receptors that are in every cell in the body. One is thyroid and one is vitamin D. So this is why if you're low in vitamin D or you're low in your thyroid receptors, if they're not working very well, you're going to have systemic issues. So this is why you get the fatigue. You might get aches and pains. Um, you might get anxiety. I mean, there are lots of these things that cross over with many other illnesses and also menopause. And a lot of times this autoimmune skew kicks in more when you're going through the perimenopause and the menopause. Um, partly because it's a time of your life where you're probably juggling, looking after aging parents. You've got might have teenagers or young children. So you're kind of and you're trying to carve out a career, etc. So women are very, and it, obviously Hashimoto's can happen to men, many, many men. But it's mainly women that seem to get it. Um, and it's partly thought that, you know, the sort of emotional, psychological side of why people get autoimmunity especially thyroid conditions is when you're placing other people before you so you're yeah which is my you know I'm the worst people pleaser in the world yeah, my yeah. work as a naturopath <laughs> that's me too good people, absolutely I've got you know three kids you know I, yeah. I, I, you know my father's actually very well but you know he's the, you know these elderly parents are always a worry so you know you've got um it's a time of life where things can really hit. I'd happened, I think when it really kicked in um, was when I just had a particularly stressful year. Um, it was exciting, but stressful, as in I was writing my first book. Um, we had, we were suddenly building a proper business, having it always just been myself practicing as naturopath on my own. So there were just, I, I was just under so much pressure. My mother-in-law died. You know, we had just had everything going on. And it was just, I think, the buildup of my body just going, I'm going to start giving some big signs. That yeah. So it was my hair falling out. I was cold all the time. Um, you know, it was a joke. You know, my body temperature would be, you know, 35.9 or something ridiculous. And they said, that's hypothermic. And this was in the middle of the summer. Yeah, you know wow um, and there I was in three cardigans and a woolly hat <laughs> ridiculous and I know I live in the in the UK <laughs> <It's>, 
warm over here. But still, it was a bit chilly. But now, you know, it's autumn and I'm in one cardigan. Yeah. That is the difference, you know. I There was one month where I was so constipated, I other than, sorry to be graphic, but other than, you know, a few marbles coming out, I literally didn't go for a month. Wow. And I was on every single way of clearing I could possibly, you know, think of in terms that of that. That sounds truly and, awful. Yeah. Um, this happened for a very long time. Um, I would really crash, really, really crash after meals. So I would almost put off eating because I knew I would then have no energy for a couple of hours. So there's a whole blood sugar balance thing going on with, with thyroid as well. Um, and then the joys of COVID kicked in because, you know, we've all had COVID where some, you may have avoided it entirely, but our country, <laughs> people have had it multiple times. Um, and that ramps up things like the histamine side of things where you're sort of suddenly becoming more sensitive to foods and sneezing and itching and so forth, which is also part of autoimmunity. It's part of the skew going towards that. So I'm painting a slightly gloomy picture here, but basically I'm now in, have none of these issues. I wish my hair was a little bit thicker. Um, I do have to work sometimes on my bowels a little bit, but more no more than sort of lots of linseeds and, you know, magnesium and things but nothing more um I'm generally pretty revitalized you know I'm you know we don't can't be have perfect energy every single day but I'd say the majority of the time I don't get that awful dip after eating so I think over time you I just wanted to share it's not one of those immediate things and even someone who really knows what they're doing can struggle and you can lose faith sometimes you think this isn't working you know I'm trying this and I'm not feeling any different a month later, three months later. But then you find that golden bullet, you know, you find that thing that really brings your metabolism together and you go, oh my God. And within maybe a few days, you feel so much stronger. So, um, and there are many books and websites and things out there telling you what you can, you know, can do to help yourself. But it is very personalized. And I think... <clears throat> So what I want to emphasize is I obviously I'm going to share some of the things that really can work, help for a lot of people in this chat today. But I think a lot of it is probably working with a really good functional medicine practitioner, really good naturopath who understands this, maybe has it themselves or has experience with lots of women who've been through this um, because I feel it's a really personalized journey. Absolutely. And it's so, it's such an important message as well to know that you can feel great, even mm. though, you know, you, you're still you, you're still working with it, you still can live and thrive, um, which is so important, especially for the psychology of, of it all as well. Oh, absolutely. I thought I'd never run again. You know, and I'm now I'm not a big runner, but I can run three miles quite easily now in the morning. Now, that's the big thing. I was just so exhausted in the morning. I just couldn't function. I can now get up. And I could do some yoga first thing or I can go for a run. I, you know, and not be really, really tired or pay the consequences the rest of the day. So I could at one point just do it, but I'd be feeling whacked all day. Yeah, or even knowing that you're going to feel awful if you get up and exercise or tired the rest of the day. I mean, yeah. that plays on you as well. 
Well, let's start, let's get back to basics. Could you explain the thyroid and its role in the body? Yes, absolutely. So it's a butterfly organ that is here at the bottom of your sort of neck, sort of just sort of here. And um, it basically plays a role at supporting your metabolism. So think of it as the spark plugs of your body. So they spark up your metabolism, your energy. They help you keep slim. They help you keep vital. So it's kind of kickstarts everything else. Um, and um, basically the thyroid feeds on minerals. So the thyroid needs lots of iodine, selenium, zinc, iron. These are all really key minerals that women need to thrive. Well, men as well, but as I said, most of the people that come to see us are women for some reason. We do, as I said, we do see some men. I'm not excluding you men. Um, and um, basically, um, these produce hormones, this thyroid stimulating hormone, T4, T3, etc. And these all, I'm going to keep it super simple for everybody, basically have an interplay into creating this energy in our body which then fires up our cells and makes us feel vital. And as I said, every then you've got these receptors in every cell in the body. So if those receptors are not working, then you're, that particular cell is going to feel low energy. So it's, you know, if you think about those receptors as plugs, and if the plug's not sticking and it's not clinging together. It's and falling out. <laughs> it's falling out, Exactly. So you can just sort of imagine this sort of engine with everything falling apart and only just, you know, occasionally firing up that old engine, you know, that you want to get sparked up again. And the things that can help to help to help the thyroid to work, as I said, are things like really good minerals, some vitamins, um, but also reducing something called inflammation, chronic inflammation. So when the body is in a state of stress, it has an infection, um, it's got a buildup of toxins. You know, if you haven't gone to the loo for a month, you are going to be building up toxins, you know? It's things like that, it's practical stuff. It's not just, some people get very fixated on these heavy metals and things. Yes, we do can get very toxic with those too, but actually sometimes it can be practical stuff. Like I never, I hardly ever sweat. I could go for a run and hardly sweat. I do now a bit, but I didn't for ages. Wow. I didn't need deodorant for years. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So your body almost is stuck, you know, and it's just not letting out the bad stuff. Oh, gosh, I had no idea that that could be a symptom. Yeah. So at what point, what happens for it to develop into hypo or hyperthyroidism what happens so it really can depend on what's going on in your life at that time you know as i said some people are in this fight or flight mode a lot you know they're under a huge amount of stress they're quite an alpha type usually you know quite slim quite busy you know live on caffeine and i know you know there are, there are you're explaining me right caffeine. now Caffeine and me back then. <laughs> yeah, caffeine, chocolate, chewing gum. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. Black cokes. <laughs> yep. So, 
and they're very high achieving but then things just top you know it just gets faster and faster and then you've got the people who are more sort of sluggish they're a little bit more slow like you can go on this perfect diet you do the perfect exercise and you stay exactly the same or you even put on weight and then the thyroid's really not working very well um and then you've got the autoimmune which as i say can send you high or low but actually it's nothing it's not really the thyroid's fault as such it's because there's more systemic autoimmune activity going on in the body that's so i mean yeah getting my head around that part just it, it's quite difficult to understand that your thyroid can be working as normal but are, are you saying there's inflammation in the body so the body starts to just attack the thyroid tissue is that what's yes. happening yes wow, that okay so basically just to do a little chat about autoimmunity generally now autoimmune conditions can be as i said the hashimoto's thyroiditis but it could be multiple sclerosis it could be lupus it could be rheumatoid arthritis um so it you know there are many many autoimmune conditions um and um essentially you need some really important pieces in the puzzle for your body to go into an autoimmune skew so one of them is most likely genetics so there's a saying genetics pull, um, load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger okay so the environment can be stress it can be toxins it can be the wrong food so non-nutritious foods um it can be you know years of not sleeping you've got three young children who haven't slept or co-slept you know really quite you know debilitating on on someone um, on the whole family you know um, it's you know it's what kids often need but you know it's still you know it's draining and then there's a third piece of the puzzle which is gut health so I'm really really passionate about gut health and it's very the amount of research into autoimmunity in the gut is immense whether it's type 1 diabetes whether it's MS whether it's thyroid looking at something called leaky gut so it's when there is an imbalance of gut bacteria in the gut, which leads to some fermentation and some maldigestion and essentially some inflammation in the gut can be due to a virus. It could be due to all sorts of things. But basically, instead of the little villi in the small intestine, which are those little kind of wiggly things that helps you to absorb your nutrition, um, in between them, there's meant to be this thing called a tight junction. Um, where it only is meant to put nutri nutrients through there. But if there is this sort of imbalance of gut flora, or, as I said, an infection or, or something else going on, these can open up and then they become much bigger holes than they should be. And that's called leaky gut. And then you get toxins, you get viruses, you get undigested food, you get the, and then the immune system goes alert, alert, alert. And this can go into the whole system it basically leaks it into the bloodstream and through to the rest of the system so if that's happening for a long period of time that can happen even for, by doing a really long run so high end exercise can cause leaky gut but temporarily it will heal itself very quickly it's when something's been chronic so many things can cause a leaky gut it's more when it's not healing itself back easily um, and over time when you combine that with genetics and you know stress factors and maybe a poor diet you know it's so easy to grab 
I don't know, a pan of chocolate and a coffee rather than a nutritious bowl of oats and goji berries and whatever, you know, if you haven't had a good night's sleep, isn't it? You know, it's just, um, so, so yeah, so that's where it can build is you need sort of many, many, you know, those three parts of the stool as such to, to trigger autoimmunity. And it can be really mild to begin with. It could just literally just be hints like, God, you know, I'm just getting a bit tired or my bowels are a bit sluggish or I'm just getting a bit colder than I used to be or whatever. And it can take many years for it to become really heavy and sort of, you know, part of you. And I suspect looking back, I probably had this autoimmune skew for quite a long time. But it was only because I'd had this incredibly stressful year that everything got exacerbated. And then it was really trying to sort of, you know, scale it back again but it you know it just it was a bit harder and I I was just thrown thrown off course because I wasn't expecting it absolutely and and I can completely relate to that I mean I had a few incredibly stressful years and um I was at the other end where I was yeah like you said just go 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 nothing will get in my way and um yeah that that proved to not do so great for me and actually funnily enough the some of the symptoms that you said you were getting I was also getting as well so I had um hair loss um I I could not put on weight um, because yeah. I was just, it was all go, go, go. So with symptoms, um, c- can they cross over? Are there key symptoms for hyperthyroidism and hypo or or can they be quite similar? Some people are literally waxing way in between the both. You know, literally they go high and low, like, you know, w- within months. Um, and so, yeah, no, anything can happen, basically. You can have a bit of bit of everything going on um and as I said you know it really just depends on I think as I said you know we've we're all aware we've got kind of weak spots in our bodies you know from when we were little or whatever you know sometimes it's ears sometimes it's throat you know when I was tiny what happened I had my tonsils and my adenoids taken out you know that's there there and there you know in this side it's only just and you know I always got you know if I'm ever ill you know what have I got today I've got a slightly sore throat so this has always been my weak spot so, of course, you know, the thyroid's only just down there, you know, it's, and so that that's when I know I'm getting run down when this area of my body is weak. To give uh, our listeners a bit of context into your story in terms yeah. of the antibodies, what, what were the numbers at the, that stage where it got to your worst? And then what are they now to give us an idea of, where people can get to? So I haven't measured them for a little while. Okay. So I can't tell you where they are right now. Um, but if, and each country measures the, you know, the reference range slightly differently. So it's meant to be under a hundred in the UK and I was 550. <laughs> wow. Were you crawling on the floor to get to places? Well, the trouble is because I'm a naturopath, I naturally, you know, eat really well. You know, I do my yoga. I take my good supplements anyway. So I think I, I'm one of those people that I think I've never, ever properly crashed. There was once, this was around the time I, I, I realized what was going on. And again, as I said, off, after the end of the summer, I'm always really tired, you know, with kids and trying to juggle it all. And I literally was crawling 
and I went off to a yoga retreat and I said, I'm 0% charged. And by the end, I said, I'm about 30% charged. They go, you need another month here. And I said, I know I dream on, but I can't. But anyway, I then went back actually to host this yoga retreat the following year. And I said, I'm now 100% charged. Oh, so it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was rather one of those things that actually go back in two weeks. And yeah. I, as long as I get rid of this, I'll be 100% charged again. <laughs> It is so important to know that you can feel good. That's that's incredible. Um, it's just taking a bit of personal responsibility and yeah. realising unless you've got an incredibly amazing doctor who's also trained in nutrition that you're just not going to get these tips. You, yeah, it's the nutritionist <laughs> you see or the naturopath or that functional uh, Yeah medicine yeah okay exactly. so exactly. you did mention the minerals that we need to yeah. check is that something that comes with those tests or is that something where you go can you please make sure we check you know zinc selenium or, sure. or is that not so important with the testing no 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 i think it's really important i think when you first are starting out on this journey you need to get a baseline and sometimes you know obviously these things are usually private blood tests or private tests. So they are going to cost. And sometimes you don't have that ability to do that. So sometimes you just have to think, I'm going to buy a few good supplements and see what happens. So I totally appreciate, you know, everyone's got different income levels and so forth. Um, but normally with the clients that come to see us, they're at a stage where they just want to get this right because they're fed up with feeling grotty for, for ever. So, um, you can do blood tests and blood tests can be done through a mainstream doctor, like a GP or whatever. Um, and things like selenium and zinc and so forth can be tested. However, they're usually quite reluctant to do it because they're quite expensive. So if it's on, you know, obviously if it's through private medical insurance, that's different. Um, but, um, you know, it's not, as I said, you know, a whole panel is not the normal thing that they would do. So, Normally, even the panel that we get done privately over here, they check um, iron levels, so ferritin, they, but then they check other vitamins like vitamin D, folate and B12, but they don't do all the other minerals, which I'm surprised about. So the way we generally do that testing is through a hair test, something called a hair mineral test. And basically what it does is it looks at um, the key minerals and how your body's excreting it at the time. So it's nothing to do with how much you have in your body, but it looks at patterns. And very, very often you will find very low zinc, very low selenium. Um, sometimes there's low iodine, sometimes there's not. And it depends from country to country. So I would say that, you know, people living in Australia, if you're living near the coast, so there's lots of sea air with, and there's obviously iodine in sea air, you're probably going to be okay for iodine. But if you lived in the middle or the centre of Australia, miles, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away from the sea, you might be slightly low in iodine because you have less access to fresh fish, you know, things like that. So, you know, whereas England, because we're quite a small um, I mean, we, you know, I live in the middle of England, you know, in the middle of the south of England, um, and we're an hour and a half, an hour and a quarter from the sea. 
but we still have seagulls sometimes here, you know, which is extraordinary. So I'm sure we do get some iodine. And that's why very few people, I think, in the UK are actually properly low in iodine. It's really only if they are on a very restricted diet for whatever reason, um, and they don't get iodine sources in their food. But we, we do get, the, it, but when we do the hair test, we find it's selenium, which comes from things like Brazil nuts and, you know, pulses and eggs seem to be quite low in the UK, just across the board. And selenium is the key, key thyroid for autoimmunity anyway. So selenium, there's been loads of research to show that this amazing mineral, as I said, that's in Brazil nuts, think Brazil nuts, two, four Brazil nuts a day, you know, it depends on the quality of the Brazil nut, how much selenium's in there. So I, I usually err for four rather than two a day, but you know, you can do it through supplementation if you don't particularly like Brazil nuts or you're just not into the routine of eating them or you're allergic to them or whatever, you can supplement. Um, and selenium basically helps to bring down thyroid antibodies. So if you're trying to shift from 550, say, slow, you know, it's not gonna happen straight away, but we had this lovely German girl who came to help with the kids when they were sort of an au pair, when they were tiny. Um, and she um, was, you know, going to university, but she wanted to work for someone like the police force in Germany, but she couldn't because they did it because in Germany they do full blood tests. They don't just do TSH and T4. They found the thyroid antibodies and they said, I'm afraid you've got an autoimmune condition, so you cannot go into the forces. Anyway, she was staying with us for a few months. So I gave her selenium and she went back and her thyroid antibodies were down to, to normal. So she could reply. Yeah. Yeah. So it was amazing. How, how long did that take? She was with us six months. So yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But she went back and her guys was fine again. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously it can wax and wane too, you know. I mean, especially women going through puberty and things like that. Things can wax and wane a bit. But I mean, we I know it was the thing I thought that's gonna be easy for her to do. It's not very expensive. It's just one of those things, it's not going to be too too troublesome to follow and it worked because she was very young and her body her immune system was obviously very adaptable in terms of those minerals whether you're getting them from food or whether you're getting them from a supplement can you overdose so selenium yes you can so i would this we usually say when you have got thyroid antibodies have 200 micrograms a day but if you don't, and you're just having some maintenance, more like 100, but you wouldn't want to go much more than that. Um, I think it's fine to probably, you know, have the occasional Brazil nut too, and obviously have a few eggs and have, you know, it's not like you're going to push it over too much with those. Um, but I think when you're, I think for supplementing, you know, the first six months having been diagnosed or starting out on a nutrition journey with your thyroid, I'd want to put selenium in for six months. There's a school of thought that some people, what they do is they do selenium for six months, off for six months, you know, six months on, six months off. That's what some people do. Um, but yeah, I don't take it all the time now. I just sort of, I sort of take a pot and then I kind of wait a bit and then I think, oh, I better take a bit more, you know, and I, I but remember I've been doing this for 27 years, yeah. so I can't. <laughs> with me but you know yeah. I think start for six months and see how you feel mm. I want to talk more about gut health but before we do um can we just touch on um goiters and thyroid nodules and and 
what's different about those two hyper and hypothyroidism? So goiters are where you often get a swelling of your neck, especially around the thyroid area. And so it just looks like a slightly thicker neck sometimes, but sometimes it really is protruding. And sometimes they say people get this actually sort of almost moon shaped face. It's much rounder. And that is something that should really be addressed by a medical doctor. And usually um, it does mean there's some imbalance of iodine. And usually iodine is given, but I would not be happy as a naturopath directly treating a goiter without medical support. So that's that. Um, and usually relatively quickly. And on in, there's amazing photos in the scientific journals and so forth on goiters. You know, you see this swollen neck and then a few months later it's back to lovely you know the women's all sort of you know slimmed up and their skin's looking better really and it just, it's, yeah 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 it's oh, amazing i didn't think it was something that you could reverse so to speak yes absolutely absolutely with the right treatments but it would probably mean the thyroxins and uh, you know but proper medical supervision of hygiene support and so forth um but yeah the nodules little nodules so our bodies are extraordinary. They produce little cysts, you know, polycystic ovaries. We get little, you know, even breast cysts, but are non-cancerous. You know, our bodies are extraordinary, but nodules, you know, there are nodules in our gut sometimes, which can cause problems. So our body is really good at making lumps and bumps in random places. And the thyroid seems to be just a breeding ground for these little nodules. And they, it, you know, it's kind of, if you think about it, it's sort of swollen tissue, essentially. Um, so what you're trying to do is to think what might be driving this systemically. So this is where this idea of inflammation comes in. Um, so basically, uh, we all need inflammation in our bodies. We need our bodies to show that our immune system's working, reacting to adversity. So, for instance, if you burn your hand or twist your ankle, it's going to damn or hurt. And you know that it's going to, you know, your your hand's going to swell up. It's going to be red. It's going to be hot. Um, and you won't be able to use it for a little while. But what's interesting is during that time, you also probably become a little bit subdued. And it's not because, you know, it hurts. Um, it's also because the body is basically putting a lot of its energy into healing that injury. But also the whole body is slightly upregulated inflammatory wise because you can't isolate that just one area. The whole body gets inflamed. So the brain, the gut and the hand. So often people would find that and it's not just because they're taking medication that their gut goes slightly out or, you know, or they get colder or they get, you know, they just or they're more fatigued or they've got a bit of brain fog or whatever. But normally the body is so good at restoring that back to normal that within a few days you're back to I know playing tennis or whatever you, you enjoy doing um or peeling your potatoes with that hand or whatever it might be and you're kind of um and happy days and your brain lifts and you feel happy and you're back to normal now that is acute inflammation and that's our bodies are amazing but then there's something called chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation is where the body is getting little injuries probably on a daily basis um, that in some cases they're able to resolve pretty easily and rebalance but other times it can build up 
So these little injuries are our day-to-day habits and what we eat and so forth. So little injuries that can be some are bigger than others. So big ones are things like viruses, bacterial infections, fungal infections, parasitic infections, some really nasty pollutant. You know, like, you know, I know a child drinking something toxic or, you know, you ha- having too many paracetamol or whatever. Um, or pollution, you know, living in a very polluted street, you know, with um, or um, also. And, and Just and as you forth. say that, I, what comes to mind is my there's painting going on at the moment and those fumes <laughs> really yeah. giving me a headache. So that would be one as well. Absolutely. So painting, paint fumes, mold in the house, mm. you know, just the mycotoxins. So there are many, many sort of sort of environmental things that can cause these, sort of, you know, low grade sort of little insults. And then you've got things like dehydration. You know, if you're not drinking enough water on, you know, regularly, the body's going to go, oh, I'm not quite working as well as I should. Um, you've then got, you know, if you're eating lots of what I call ultra processed foods, which are the very highly refined convenience foods, which aren't particularly nutritious, um, then that's going to be spike that sort of inflammation as well. Um, whereas eating sort of really nutrient dense, good quality and organic veggies and beans and pasta and good meats and things and so forth can be really nutritious and anti-inflammatory. Um, and then, you know, lack of sleep high stress. So all of these things can contribute to ongoing inflammation. And then, as I said, if you get inflammation in the gut, then that can cause a leaky gut and mm. cause a kickstart autoimmunity. Yeah, domino effect. Yeah, exactly. But inflammation around the body can is part of the picture. I mean, if you type in inflammation in PubMed and you will get, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of it is literally linked to every health condition from migraine to chronic pain to depression to anxiety to multiple sclerosis to cancer you know the full works so basically and inflammation even with little kiddos you know you're looking at eczema asthma um you know part of the picture of autism part of the picture of adhd um and mood disorders and behavioral learning issues can be part of inflammation too. So it's not the whole picture, but it's part of it and more prone to it. So, you know, inflammation is, I think, affecting the majority of people in our world right now who are living in a modern way. And speaking of gut, <clears throat> I'd love to know like what the symptoms are, you know, if we need to be looking at the gut, but also what you said in all of that in terms of um, the, the obvious part in terms of the food is the packaged goods, the stuff that's, you know, not great for you. But in terms of the vegetables and the fruits that may be sprayed, are these, are, are they, you need to stay away from those completely like the good or the bad outweighs the good. And so you really need to go organic or is that something where we could go just get vegetables and fruits in um no matter you know where you can get them from or or or, yeah so i'm very very mindful of people's budgets especially right now um and in a dream world we'd all be eating organic food etc etc i think let's be sensible 
So there are something called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, which is something you can easily find on the internet everywhere. And that will give you an idea of the food, if the fruits and vegetables that are most sprayed right now and the ones that are least. So things like anything that's peeled, so a mango or a banana or a squash is usually really low in pesticides. So those are kind of things that you can probably choose as non-organic. Things like strawberries, apples, uh, red peppers are highly sprayed. So you kind of do want to go more organic with those. But equally, I appreciate that that even that may not be possible. We have some very good low budget supermarkets in the UK that do stock some organic that's not that much more costly. That's, um, so which is good. So it is possible to get some things. But really, one of the best things you can do is to get a really good sieve or a really good bowl that you can soak your fruits and veggies in. And you put a bit of bicarbonate soda, a bit of apple cider vinegar in the water, let it soak for five to 10 minutes. Comes out really shiny. You can see the film of all the rubbish at the top. It also stores in your fridge for longer. So even strawberries you think might go soggy because you soak them in some water. Absolutely great. The only one thing I haven't been able to really get good is raspberries. They tend to go soggy quite easily. But other than that, the rest, you know, and so actually you can store it in your fridge for longer. So it's just one of those things that actually it's a good thing to do. Um, and if, you know, you don't even have time to that, you can peel your apple, you know. So there's all these things and that would help too. So, you know, I do think, it, and I think also is, I really believe in providence. I think at the end of the day, there are an awful lot of wonderful farmers who cannot tick the box for organic for some whatever random reason, you know, because, but they're doing their absolute best and it's local, you know, low carbon footprint. Um, you know, so I love going to our local farmers markets and, you know, um, we've got these sort of local country kind of um, farm shops and things like that and you know if you get it right or you can get delivery boxes you know um, if you can get that right sometimes you can do that on a budget and it depends on your life and stage and how busy you are so you've got to get it right there's no point having waste and there's no point them delivering beetroots if you hate beetroots or whatever so you've got to you know get it right um, but you know um, you know we all just do our best um, and I think also just using your freezer as much as possible. So chopping an onion, I often only need half an onion for a meal, not a full onion. So if you chop it up and put it in a little bag in the freezer, you've got it for next time. So you're, you know, so we've got lots of bags in the freezer, you know, chopped up carrot and celery and all, but mixtures as well. You know, where I've been making something, I've realized I've made too much. So I just, you know, so it's there for the next time. That's a great idea because we we find that, yeah, our celery doesn't take long and it's all limp and sad. Exactly. I know. <laughs> what the heck do you do with a celery? Yeah. Other than Soft celery. Yeah, I know. So let's talk more about those um, those gut symptoms and then what we can do to start optimising our gut health. <clears throat> so one of the first gut signs that many people experience who have autoimmune thyroid issues anyway sometimes the low thyroid as well is reflux so they often get this sort of you know bubbling up of food acid coming up their throat feeling pretty uncomfortable in their upper gut um, and that can cause some halitosis it can cause you know some you know all sorts of disruption to, to and just make them feel pretty icky and that's why people, oh, I can't eat acidic foods and I can't eat this food and that food. 
And often what it is, is one of the most important things that we get right for our gut health, but also our overall health, including autoimmunity and thyroid health, is getting enough stomach acid created in the stomach. Um, so that's called hydrochloric acid. And against essentially hydrochloric acid helps to break down protein. So when we chew our food, that starts to break down the sugars in our food. But then when it gets to the stomach, um, which is is actually between your breastbone, everyone thinks the stomach's further down, but it's 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 quite high up. Um, and that is the primary role there is to break down protein. So imagine it's in a washing machine and it's mixing it all up and whizzing it around. And that takes several hours. It's not like a, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, my tummy's empty now. But it's actually, you know, it takes quite a long time to do that. And then it sends a signal to your small intestine to basically there's a and it's very acidic in, in the stomach, as I said. And then um, it becomes very alkaline. So it senses bicarbonate and it also releases all the digestive enzymes out of your pancreas to break everything down properly. You know, the fats into lipids and the proteins into amino acids and the, and the starches into 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 basic sugars, the glucose. So basically that's it's kick-starting that too it also the stomach is really important for um absorbing b12 iron magnesium calcium and zinc so basically the stomach is kind of key to get right and i would say that even if you have symptoms of reflux many people think i've got too much acid it can be actually the opposite and you might have not enough acid i not enough oomph to break down that protein and to kick start the rest of the digestion um and um it's interesting that that this low hydrochloric acid state the actual symptoms are very similar to that of a high acid state um and well, that's lot, confusing <laughs> exactly the body is really confusing so now this is not a medical test this is not accurate 100 percent, but it's a guideline that you can do at home which i think is just brilliant at giving you that idea do you need more acid or less acid i'm not saying it's definitive in any respect but we use it a lot we call it our the bicarb test and essentially bicarbonate soda or baking soda i don't know what you call it in australia um if you combine that with some sort of acid vinegar lemon juice hydrochloric acid so if you would put a squeeze a bit of lemon juice on some bicarb you know on a plate it would start bubbling and you get gas okay um now so if you think if you've got acid in your stomach and you add bicarb in theory you should produce gas really quickly so you should be belching quite a lot okay so if you have plenty of stomach acid and you drink a bit of bicarb in some water mixed up drink it down and you start belching for Britain or for Australia within two minutes then you've probably got pretty good stomach acid or you might even if it's immediate you might have quite a lot or too much stomach acid and that's a sign that you might need to down down the acid response but I would say and this is obviously I haven't counted this but say 90% of our clients when they do the test they're going two minutes three minutes four minutes five minutes six minutes nothing's happened and they might get a tiny little pathetic burp out or belch out in like five, six minutes. Sometimes they say, I didn't even belch for 45 minutes or not at all. And that is a key sign there is not, it's not acidic enough in there. As I said, 
there is a little controversy whether you know there is hydrochloric acid or not but basically there is not enough acid in there so what we suggest that you do to stimulate that is to chew on sort of a bitter greens so things like rocket endive chicory at the beginning of a meal and that stimulates the, so the bitter taste stimulates the production of your gastric juices Zinc is really important for producing all our gastric juices, hydrochloric acid, pancreatic acid, everything. So uh, optimizing zinc is really important. And then um, adding acid to the stomach. So that could be lemon juice. It could be some apple cider vinegar. So this is why apple cider vinegar is one of the key things to help people with their health is because it basically bolsters that hydrochloric acid then protein breaks down and then everything else gets absorbed. And they, you know, So basically it's a sort of beginning of the process. Um, and so many people feel amazing having basically just added some apple cider vinegar or some lemon juice or both. I sometimes do a shot in the morning. It sounds really gross, but it feels amazing. So I've always had really low blood pressure and um, really low, basically low, just low pulse, low temperature. So as I said, I was freezing in the summer. And salt is very good at popping up the blood pressure a bit. So you have a little bit of salt, you have some apple cider vinegar, you have some uh, um, lemon juice in some water, and you sort of drink it down, and then you whiz it down with some olive oil. And this sounds really, really gross, but it is amazing. You feel so good within five minutes of taking that. You're like, woo! Because <laughs> you've I'm just doing basically everything <laughs> started. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and yeah, the olive oil at the end is, you know, one of those, it, it, it's a choice, um, but I just find it's brilliant for me personally. It really helps to smooth my skin and things like that. And I feel my liver likes it too. So um, it's very good for the liver. Um, but yeah, I, but some people really need to work on that hydrochloric acid for a, you know, getting that extra acid in for quite a while. Um, and the great thing is, you know, you've had too much because then suddenly you sort of, it all feels rather hot in here and you're sort of feeling like, oh, and then that's where you could take a bit of bicarb just to sort of neutralize it again. So you can play around with it over weeks and months to get the right sort of, you know, balance. But most people get the balance pretty quickly. And then what's amazing, and this is what's so amazing about the body, usually within about three or four weeks, you go, oh, well, you know, I had to take it with every single meal. And now actually I feel I only need it at breakfast and lunch, uh, supper. And now actually I think I only need it at supper. And then, oh, I completely forgot about it and I was fine. So you know what I mean? It's one of those things, it almost reteaches the body. So a lot of people say, oh God, is my body going to get lazy and it's not going to produce enough acid? I said, no, it's complete. I, it's extraordinary. But the body goes, oh, thank God, I now know what to do. Yeah, wow. So mm. you, you're saying to do that before every meal? If, if you find that you're low in acid. To begin with, often people, it's the biggest thing. They have this reflux is so debilitating. Um, and what's amazing is once you get the um, stomach acid working really well, guess what? The bowels start opening oh. too. <laughs> yes, hallelujah. Yes. So as I said, it's like even though the chewing bit, well, actually the first bit of digestion is smelling food. So that's why it's so important to cook your own food and enjoy being in the kitchen and sitting in the kitchen whilst everything's brewing. Cause actually that's kickstarts your, your, your digestion. But then obviously it's chewing, which is key, but it's really that stomach, I think, is the bit that really, really is important. So what would you say then to those who are actually taking medication for reflux? Could they still do this? 
So this is where you have to work with your doctor, obviously. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, very often what it is, is I would say the majority of people that come to see us would say, and this is one of the clues that we know you need to go down this path, is they go, I've had this terrible reflux. When I get put on re- a, a Meprazole or Lanzaprazole, I feel worse. Or it works for about a month and then it sort of gets worse and worse. So often what it is, is they because you're not really meant to take any of these things for very long but often people get stuck in a rut because they kind of a bit nervous about getting reflux so they keep on taking it or, or the doctor hasn't so you know how many times do you get called back to see the doctor to review your medicines you know what I mean you have to be quite proactive to do that and sometimes you know these things drift on um and so I think really it's just big, taking honest view is this helping or not and speaking to your doctor and saying I don't think it's helping, so I'm going to drop it. Um, or I'm going to, you know, often people scale back over a while. Um, but you can always, you know, I think you have to be careful if there's any kind of proper upper gastric bleeding or inflammation or something called helicobacter, which is a kind of bacteria that can cause a gastritis. So if anything like that, you absolutely do not want to go anywhere near the acid. And what we would do to begin with is to give things like slippery elm, marshmallow root and other lovely aloe vera, things like that, lovely herbs to basically dial down the gastritis, heal the gut a little bit. Sometimes it's mastic gum. Um, Licorice is another one, deglycerized licorice. And these things are really soothing on that upper gut. And then you kind of, once that's calmed down, then you'd be super cautious and you'd start with the bitter leaves, um, and then you might go in with something simple like turmeric and artichoke, which again are quite gentle. And then you might just try a little bit of lemon juice and see. And once the lemon juice is in and that's okay, then you might try the cider vinegar. You can actually get hydrochloric acid pills, capsules, which are supplements, which some people find really convenient, especially if they're eating out. But again, you would only put those in if you knew there wasn't any bleeding or upper gastric distress. Yeah. Yeah. Consult your doctor yeah speak to your naturopath or your doctor yes yeah Yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about gluten and how that impacts our thyroid yes absolutely so there's lots of research that's been done into the gut reaction to gluten and the thyroid and so forth so there's a chap called Alesso Fasano who's American Italian-American, and he's done a massive research into something called zonulin. So zonulin is basically where um, there's leaky gut um, due to gluten or wheat ingestion, which can then kickstart all these autoimmune conditions. So there is a gut element. It's non-celiac usually, so it's usually not this celiac disease as such, but it's another response to gluten. But when it affects the thyroid, what's interesting is the body, as I said, is also already in autoimmune mode. So it's kind of ready to kind of fight itself. Um, But what's interesting is the gluten protein and the thyroid tissue, for some reason, looks very similar to our immune system. So basically what happens is if our body is fighting the gluten, it will also fight our thyroid at the same time. So that is why many, many people with an autoimmune thyroid condition, I'm not talking about low thyroid, high thyroid, but then autoimmune. So someone with these antibodies 
often feels amazingly better if they take gluten out of the diet entirely. Um, everyone's slightly different. Some people take it incredibly literally and take out every single exposure to gluten to begin with because they just want to feel better. And often that is right because their body is so highly sensitized to it that even, you know, like celiac disease, if you get a crumb from someone, cut, you know, like cutting a cake with the same knife or whatever, you're going to get a reaction. And so that's why people are usually pretty strict to begin with. However, over time, as the gut heals, as the immune system heals, usually you can get away with a little bit here and there. So my aim is for all our clients to get to the same stage where basically probably for overall thyroid health and overall autoimmunity, you probably choose not to eat those foods every single day. But, you know, you can eat them sometimes. And I think that's just that's freedom of health to me. You know, it's like, you know, I'm choosing how often I eat that, you know, and there will be certain times where it might be a few days in a row because you just can't avoid it. Um, I mean, and then other times when you can be absolutely at home a lot or you're amongst people who also eat gluten-free and it's easy. Mm. Yeah. And when you eliminate it from the diet, is it something that you notice, you know, within the week or is it, does it take a bit longer? I would say most people, and obviously we're all very different, it depends how chronically fatigued you are, but most people within a few days. Yeah, wow. Literally, everything, their gut feels more comfortable, their fatigue starts to lift, their brain fog's a bit better. I'm not saying they're totally resolved, it's not like they're a new person, but very often I'll go, this is a very good move for me. But also knowing that, you know, it's only a short amount of time where it'll be completely eliminated before you can start to bring it back in here and there, dependent on how you feel. Yeah, and I would always experiment, say, at a weekend so that you had, you know, if you did dip, if you suddenly felt awful, you know, you had a couple of days to kind of put yourself up before you had to get back to work or whatever yeah. you do during the week. We talk about the liver. Yes. What's what's the role of the liver in in all of this? Because obviously it has a big one, but I feel like we don't know too much about it, and and we should. So the liver is our second largest organ. The largest organ is our skin, but you know it's an enormous organ which is in the right hand lower quadrant of of, of basically to the side of your gut. Um, and it helps to basically filter out all our toxins. So, um, and as I said, when you have a thyroid condition, often everything gets slowed up, you get constipated, you don't sweat, you feel less energized, so you're less likely to exercise. So you, you feel cold, so you'll wrap up warm. Um, so there's an awful lot where you're basically trying to sort of you know, survive, but you know, that's, you know, you're going to build up your toxins more readily. Um, and so there's interestingly, um, we have pathways that if we don't have a bowel movement, the toxins from our bowels will go back into the liver. I know it's gross, but it's <laughs> awful. And we can recirculate estrogens as well back into our liver. So our liver is an amazing organ. I'm, and you know, it helps it, you know, it stores things like vitamin D and it processes vitamin D and it, pro I mean, it does so many jobs. So if it's not working brilliantly, then it's 
think of it as your kind of dustbin man, your trash man, you know, basically it's clearing stuff out. And, um, you know, if if that's not efficient, you know, if, if your dustbin man doesn't turn up one week, it's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, all these bags built up and, you know, it's all smelly. So, you know what I mean? So you need to kind of keep your liver clear. So things like loads of alcohol, um, things like loads of caffeine. And it's okay occasionally to have a glass of wine, good quality wine or good quality coffee or good quality green tea. You know, I'm not anti, I'm not like take everything out. Sometimes people, you know, if people are in a real crisis, you say, yeah, you know, like if you're hyperthyroid and you're not sleeping, I would take caffeine out because it's too stimulating. Um, but yes, and remember, we are exposed to masses of plastics and plastics really disrupt our hormones. And obviously thyroid is, is a hormone as well. So, um, so we are exposed to plastics through cling film, you know, food being, food packaging. Um, now, this is a really gross quote, but basically, apparently, we all consume the equivalent of the a credit card size of plastic each week as their <gasps> natural Really? Yeah. Um, so even even the BPA free? They're plastic. not perfect. They're okay, yeah. but if you can get glass, you know, the you know, all I'm saying is the typical person. Um I'm not taking say necessarily you because you probably do lots of really good stuff, but um we are exposed to lots of plastics. And they're endocrine disruptors. They are hormone disruptors and they store in the liver too. So basically you want to keep your liver happy. And so things to do are just, as I said, getting your bowels moving, absolutely critical. And um, reducing toxic exposure. So things like, you know, when you're buying a new skincare range or a new shampoo or a new house cleaner, try and get the eco version or the green and clean version rather than, um, you know, some sort of, ultra amazing sounding one but actually one that's got a million chemicals on the back um things like you know um till receipts are covered in plastic you know i often say no no receipt thank you so i only keep them if i have to for business yeah so there are you know we get exposed to lots of plastics and then things like as i said that lovely olive oil lemon juice apple cider vinegar side of things great fruits and vegetables incredibly cleansing on the liver olive oil garlic ginger all these amazing herbs and spices so really good food is incredibly lots of fiber all these things they help cleanse the gut so that helps to the liver to get less burdened and then things like nettle tea dandelion tea which come in lovely blends now so and actually they don't taste horrid if a bit of honey or something and it tastes quite nice as I said, there's often nice blends now they often blend it with mint or licorice or something just to you know to lift it and those are really cleansing and good. So, you know, and I guess what it is, is, is you know, if 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 alcohol is not serving you well, maybe take a break from it or just cut back or, you know, always have a big glass of, of, of water beside your wine glass so that you're drinking more water and less wine. And so over time, you will, you know, challenge the liver less and you'll feel happier. Absolutely. So and that's what we when, want. <laughs> when, when your liver's really challenged, you often become angry. Ah, I was just about to ask, what what could we look out for that would tell us we need to look after our liver? I think it's angry, rage, um, yeah. and irritability. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think with 
with the liver, as I said, yes, the emotional side of things, the anger, the rage, the irritability are really key signs, but also things like skin rashes um, and sort of also hot flushes are very liver led. So actually a lot of people who are menopausal find that they really struggle with drinking things like wine and because it overwhelms their liver. Um, there are things that you can take um, to help support the liver. So there's a lovely herb called milk thistle, which is great. Um, and, you know, the things I've talked about a little bit before, things like turmeric, dandelion and so forth are great. And they can come in a kind of supplement form if you're not prepared to drink the teas or slurp down the turmeric lattes or whatever. Beautiful. Perfect. Now, I have... A lot of athletes who tune into the show. So I'd love to know in terms of um, the thyroid and thyroid health and and exercise, what should, is, is there anything we need to know in terms of how we should be exercising um, and, and what we should be doing to sort of make sure it's helping the thyroid or, or at least not um, burdening it? At the end of the day, if someone is building up to a big event, whether it's a row or a run or a cycle or a boxing match or you know gymnastics or whatever it might be, you know they're going to be focused on achieving their personal goal, okay, the personal best or winning. Um, but really, what it is is saying we're going to try and prevent injury. We're going to optimize your nutrition optimize your gut health so we took um these amazing this amazing team of rowers who are women rowers and they rowed from san francisco to hawaii oh, and um yeah it was in a big race and they essentially they beat both the women's world record and the men's world record sensational it was an amazing it. experience i love them so much four amazing women but there was one who had such bad gut issues now this was rowing four hours on four hours off if she ate she couldn't row for two hours afterwards so imagine trying to you know eat row eat, you know what i mean it was just a nightmare um, anyway, so we got her gut really stable before the race. So it's things like that. And another lady who's a triathlete, again, she'd been living actually in Australia and they'd had all picked up some nasty bug in the gut and they hadn't been right since. And she was finding that she was getting really bad IBS symptoms when she was running. She's, you know, team GP. So she's really good at what she does. Yeah. Um, anyway, again, we've worked on the gut and that's really just ease that discomfort. That concern is, you know, do I need to dart the loo halfway through the race or whatever? You know, things like that. So there's an awful lot of things to think. I don't think you can really dictate what type of exercise to do as such, because at the end of the day, you are you know, achieving what you need to achieve. But if something's holding you back, I would say see a functional medicine practitioner, naturopath and try and find what might be those missing pieces in the puzzle and what can help to support those things. And the key is to find supplements that are obviously not going to, you know, most of the supplements that we definitely stock are totally clean in terms of, you know, the sports doping idea and all that, you know, because some things have too much caffeine or too much this or too much stimulation. We don't stock any of those kinds of things anyway. And we wouldn't advise any of those things. But you know how people are very cautious as well, especially if they're in a, at an elite level. 
Um, but yes, so I haven't really answered your question is because I don't feel I want to dictate it, but I would want to do, to caveat, I would want to do some sort of recovery, whether it's yoga, stretching, Pilates, you know, some sort of opposite to the hardcore, you know, exercise that yeah. people are doing. Yeah. So I think so a lot of people I, are incorporating now anyway. Yes, definitely becoming more, um, well, more prevalent or to the forefront of the, uh, you know, the wellness space. So do you, is your stance the same in terms of the type of exercise if we're dealing with someone who's got hyperthyroidism or graves? I think, again, you'd want to take on board as many relaxation downtime. You know, I mean, it could just be, it could just be some small weight bearing exercises. You know, it's just not making a hit. It's just slowing everything up a little bit. Um, it could be doing a bit of swimming. It could be a bit of, you know, speed walking or even walking, you know, rather than running. Um, but it's always incorporating the yoga, the breathing, and it's the, you know, yes, for sure. So it's trying trying to slow the body down because it's yes. usually someone who does far too much anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I give you permission to not exercise tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. Which is generally not what they want to hear anyway. <laughs> and so. I know, usually lose them for a bit and then they go, oh, yeah, I get it now. <laughs> this has been wonderful. I know people hearing this will want to go, well, what's your approach and how do I see you or someone like you? So what is your approach to naturopathy and, and helping um, helping people with their thyroid or health in general? So we're based in the UK. However, we can do virtual consultations um so we do look after some people in australia i will caveat that and say that you know still it's sort of you know you have got that time delay to think about and you know so it, it's sometimes hard to fit in the appointments if you sort of mean. so so i would encourage you to find a good naturopath or good functional medicine doctor locally to you that you can work with and you can trust and that you feel is connected with you and understands your particular life. I think it's really key. I just think, so I'm sure there are many good people in Australia I, um, to find. I would ensure that you have done at least a baseline blood test to check for your thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH, your T4, your T3, your thyroid antibodies, probably ferritin, which is iron stores, B12, vitamin D, folate. And if you can get some of those minerals into great, and you can probably get those done privately or through your your local doctor, medical doctor. And at least that's information to be able to provide your practitioner right up front rather than, oh, it might be thyroid, it might be this, it might be that. At least, you know, it will say yes or no, I guess. Obviously, you know, sometimes it's a bit hidden, but generally I'd say that that would give them enough information to get going. Um, what would we do then? We would then sort of, work out what the primary issues are we'd probably get them to do the bicarb test we'd probably get them to do a stool test to understand what's going on in the gut we would probably straight away put in trial say look why don't you just trial until we get all your results back let's trial a gluten-free diet and some selenium if they've got incredibly low energy levels we sometimes put vitamin b1 in which is thiamine which can bolster up energy quite quickly. And it's one of the key nutrients, again, for the thyroid. Um, so we sometimes would put that in. If we know they're low in iron, we would put that in. So we kind of just basically look at that baseline blood test. 
And then we would then look at, you know, where are they at if they're at perimenopausal state? You know, maybe there is some estrogen imbalance or progesterone imbalance in play here. So, or even testosterone imbalance, you know. And so we would probably do, you know, it's something called a Dutch test, which is to check all your hormones, or we might do a hair test, as I said, to check the minerals. So, yeah, so those are sort of baseline things that we would probably do. And we probably try and balance this blood sugar so you didn't get the big dip after a meal. Mm. Well, Amazing. So Lucinda, this has been sensational. In case people are thinking that they will manage the time difference <laughs> and book with you, how can people find you and, and your work? Okay, so we're at, we're com my company is called NatureDoc. And our website's called naturedoc.co.uk. We also have an online shop called naturedoc.shop. I have an amazing team, my naturedoc clinical team. So I personally specialize in children's health, but we have an incredible thyroid team who would be able to hold your hand and help you really, really well. So, you know, and it's, they're wonderful women, really, really wonderful women that really get this amazing you can also find so us on instagram and yes of Twitter course look and, and all of that as well so i had to throw that in yes of course we'll put all those in the show notes um for sure so people can find you nice and easy this has been amazing i normally like to finish off with a question that people can action straight away so what are your, I feel like you've mentioned a lot already, but what are your non-negotiables for good thyroid health? I would say if you were starting out and you were a bit fearful of where to go first, I would add in more protein and healthy fats, eat less processed food, take selenium and consider going gluten-free and see what happens amazing and such easy starting points as well lucinda thank you so much this has been sensational i've loved every minute and i could keep talking to you but we'll, we'll end it there thank you so much for your time jackie thank you so much have a wonderful day that was lucinda miller and you know the biggest takeaway from this episode for me is that we can live with these conditions and still feel good and thrive and to me that is the most powerful and empowering message because once you know what to do it gives you back control in something that once upon a time you may have felt you had none well <clears throat> that's how i felt at least if you want to find out more about lucinda i have her details in the show notes and her social channels are also fantastic resources so make sure you check them out if you loved this episode, please subscribe to the channel or follow, depending on which platform you're listening from, and share it with your friends, because all of that really helps this show grow and reach the people that would love to hear this too. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. Have the best day, week, month, and year, and here is to a world of bodies built better. Bye.